Colorado really opened my eyes up a lot. And I, it, it just, it makes you wonder, because back before my injury and then looking now, I'm like, they, or let, they let disabled people do this, you know? People with disabilities have this option, you know, to go out there and get that adrenaline rush or have a um, an area where they can perform or, or, you know, go back to something that's athletic. Welcome to the Sorba Stories podcast, the only podcast powered by y'all. We're here to share the stories about the incredible people and places that make mountain biking in the Southeast an experience unlike any other. Each episode, we feature individuals from across the region to tell their story centered around the trails that they love. Whether it's the local neighborhood single track to epic backcountry experiences, our chapters and members play a vital role in making them great. So gear up, tune in, and we hope you enjoy the ride. Thank you for tuning in. We're really excited to share this episode about adaptive riding. It's going to be a great listen, but before we get there, let's have a quick update about what's going on in Sorba land. We are really close to having 10,000 members in Sorba, and we had some incredible growth so far this year. Now is the perfect time to join your local chapter. Even if you think you're already a member, log in and double check your auto renewal may have had a disruption. On top of great benefits, your membership supports your local chapter and efforts across the Southeast. And if you need more incentive, October is our membership drive, and every new membership or renewal gets automatically entered to win some awesome prizes. Fall is just around the corner, and it's always a busy time across the Southeast. We have a number of great chapter events happening across the region, as well as the Sorba Fall Board of Directors meeting. Make sure to have these events on your calendar. On October 21st, Sorba leaders from across the region will meet in Anniston, Alabama for our annual Fall Board of Directors meeting. If you are a part of your chapter's leadership, make sure to register for the meeting. We will also have an optional class happening on October 20th to go over the science of trail building with geology professor Ross Martin. The class is open to anyone who wants to take it, even if you're not going to be involved with the board of directors meeting. With the Coldwater Mountain Bike Fat Tire Fest going on the same weekend, there'll be plenty of good times to be had. In partnership with the USDA Forest Service and EMBA, Sorbel will be hosting a trail assessment training workshop this fall. The training includes two virtual sessions and one full day in the field training hosted at Mulberry Gap in LJ, Georgia. For more information and to register, click the link in our show notes. Also available in the show notes is a list of chapter events across the South that you don't want to miss out on. There are a number of festivals like the Hammer Fall Fest in Huntsville, Alabama, Coldwater Mountain Fat Tire Fest, and the AMBC Fall Fest. If racing's your thing, you've got the Toughburg 10 in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the McGee Lumbuster in Jackson, and the already sold out but great to spectate the Quick Six Enduro in Roswell, Georgia. And last but not least, don't forget about the Fast Flowmaster hosted by the Central Savannah River Area Sorba in Augusta, Georgia. If you need some more details about those events, check out the show notes. And that'll do it for the updates. Now let's dive into this podcast about adaptive riding. All right, and welcome to the very first Sorba Stories podcast. We're excited to have you tune in to what we think is going to be a great episode. We have two guests lined up with us today, as well as a co-host to chat a little bit about adaptive mountain biking. Allow me to introduce Blake Bryant, a mountain biker living in Anniston, Alabama area with his wife and 11-year-old son. Blake is a former specialist in the Army Guard before a motorcycle accident in 2014, which damaged his fourth thoracic, I don't know, I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, vertebra, leaving him paralyzed. Blake has raced and traveled for many mountain bike trips and is an aggressive rider. His local trails are Coldwater Mountain, which if you've ever ridden there, you know they aren't exactly the easiest trails. He advocates for more adaptive riders to join mountain biking community. Essentially, Blake is a badass rider who just happens to be an adaptive athlete. Welcome, Blake. Hey, man, I sure appreciate it. And, uh, thank you said that perfectly. Yeah. Uh, thanks for <laughs> having me join you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, next up, we have Randy Connor, a member of the Professional Trail Builders Association who owns and operates Contour Trail Design Company based in Knoxville, Tennessee. Randy has become a leader in building adaptive trails through testing and modifying existing trails. He works closely with Carly Pearson, an adaptive athlete who he has learned a lot about the specifics of adaptive riding. Randy has been instrumental in helping increase adaptive riding in the Southeast. And welcome, Randy. 
Oh, thank you. Just uh, happy to be here and uh, looking for ways to get the word out. So this is this is awesome. Thank you for being here. Uh, also joining us is Jen Flavin, Sorba's Development Director and Snack Connoisseur, who, in addition to co-hosting, has done an incredible job of setting up these podcasts and reaching out to Blake and Randy for this conversation. So, Jen, thanks for being here. Thanks, Philip. And I am Philip Darden, a guy with a microphone who happens to also be the executive director of Sorba. Uh, before we get started off with the interviews, I want to thank today's podcast sponsor, uh, which is Finish Line Products. Since established in 1988, Finish Line has been dedicated to enhancing the longevity of bicycle drivetrains. Their extensive range of products, including iconic dry and wet lubes, speed degreaser, and super bike wash, continues to set the standard for in the industry and earn the trust of riders everywhere. Whether you're a competitive athlete, a daily commuter, an adventurous explorer, or a leisure cyclist, you can rest assured the finish line products are diligently working to protect your valuable components and safeguard your investment. So thank you finish line for sponsoring this podcast today. And before we get into the, the real specific questions about adaptive riding and the, uh, the trails that go behind that, I want to get a question for, for each one of you. Um, and we're going to ask this question in every single one of the podcasts because it is one of my absolute favorite questions to ask. I want you really quickly to describe your most memorable mountain bike ride. And Blake, we're going to start with you. Uh, so far, I'd have to say Crested uh, Butte, Colorado uh, at this time. Uh, it, was, it was a beautiful place to, to go mountain biking. Awesome. And Anything specific about the ride that you absolutely enjoyed? Uh, yeah, I, I can't really, really um, point out a specific event. I really can't. It was just, it was so unimaginable. And, um, but I do, I do appreciate the, the scenery. The scenery, I guess, is what I like. Yeah, that whole... The Rocky Mountain Range is is something spectacular, and for those of us that live in the on the East Coast, our mountains are they're incredible, but they're very different than what you experience in the Rockies. Uh, Randy, so same question to you: Describe your most memorable mountain bike ride. You know, I've I've been lucky enough to ride all over the country and part of Europe, and and uh, I've ridden in a whole lot of places, but I always tell people, you know, as much as I've ridden and as many places as I've ridden. I don't think anybody's got it any better than Knoxville does. The one particular ride, this was even before AMBC started, uh, that we were riding. Our group ride was always at Hall Ridge. And I went out one night and we were all on single speeds back when I was younger and dumber. <clears throat> and that's a, not an easy place to do that. And we, for some reason, we just clicked. Everybody's riding at the same speed. Everybody's clearing everything they tried. Um, it was just one of those rides that just absolutely fell together. And um, uh, that's, uh, that always is one of the ones that uh, I go back to. We finished that ride with three guys, and we were just laughing and giggling the whole time. It was, it was one of those and uh, really, really memorable. That's awesome. Yeah. And the shared experience is, is one of the things that I absolutely love. Sure. You can go out and mountain bike by yourself, but being able to be out there with a group of people and, and, you know, everybody's having a great time and, you know, riding well, it, it's just, yeah, those are really incredible rides. Thank you for sharing. And Jen, since this is the first one, I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, I'm not going to ask you every single time we do this podcast, but you know, why not for today? Well, I love this question. So this, I'll say the same thing, Randy, that um, I've just ridden uh, up in Michigan and some some places that would be considered world class. I've been out to Whistler. But uh, when I think about my favorite ride, I actually think about the first time that I really got into mountain biking. I was a trail runner and had seen how friendly the people on the trails were. As I would get out of the way, people would say thank you and have a good run. And I thought this is a really friendly community. I think I want to get into this. And my husband, who was at, my boyfriend at the time, um, I told him while he was at work one day, I was just going to borrow his bike and go try it out and see if I want to, you know, invest and do this for myself because it's it's not an easy thing to get into just, you know, coming from nowhere. Uh, so I went out and I found our beginner plus trail at um, Blankets Creek in Woodstock. And I lapped that thing so many times that I got over 10 miles in a smile on my face the whole time I was 
not crushing it by any means. It was a terrible, you know, ride from the outside, but from the inside, I was having the best time and I was hooked ever since. So it wasn't anything world-class. It wasn't, you know, a big epic day, but it's a ride that will always stick with me. And I always think of that. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you shared a little bit about that when you're in the job interview process for your current position with Sorba and it was something that stood out to me too. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and while we're at it, you know, I mean, this is the first episode I'll share mine as well. And I would have a number of them that I go to, but I think the one that always stands out the most is, um, early in my advocacy career, I got a chance to go to an Embo world summit and it was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, on the last day of the summit, they had a shuttle day and they shuttled you up to the Santa Fe ski area, which is at 11,000 feet. And it's, late August. So it's roughly this time of year. And, you know, here in the Southeast at that time, it's still hot as blazes. And, um, but there in New Mexico, snow was falling, uh, at the top of the, at 11,000 feet. So it was, you know, 30, 40 degrees, snow was falling. I'm in a jacket. Uh, I'm on my first experience of a long travel mountain bike because this was in 2012. And, uh, we traverse all the way down to the city of Santa Fe. And at the beginning, you know, we're in the, in the mountains, it's pine, the Aspen are changing colors. Uh, so the, all the Aspen leaves are yellow, uh, snow is falling. We end up descending and climbing two different ridges. And by the time we get into downtown New Mexico or sorry, Santa Fe, uh, it's 75 degrees sunny and we rode through like scrubby desert. So it's just the whole transition of climates and temperatures and experiences was like, it was one of the most magical rides I'd ever been on. Um, I happened to meet some people on that ride that later on are trail advocates from across the Southeast. I didn't even know that they were on the ride and we didn't know each other beforehand, but they're people that I now call good friends and, and, um, coworkers in the, in the trail environment. There two of them now have a professional trail building business. And, uh, another one is, uh, is an advocate still for their local trail community. So it was altogether just a really great experience, but thank you all so much for sharing that. I, I love hearing people's trail experiences and, and what rides they love to hear. So thank you all. Uh, but let's it's get into the questions. Yeah, that is, <laughs> it's what it's all about. We're here to provide those experiences. Uh, so let's get into the questions. So, uh, Blake, we're going to start off with you. I want to know a little bit about how you got into adaptive writing and when that happened. Well, a few years after my injury, um, I'm, I'm a vet, so it was a little easier for me. I got into the VA clinic and I started, uh, getting into recreational therapy and they decided, or, you know, we discussed adaptive cycling. So I started out on a, a, a road cycle. Uh, and I, I still do road cycling, but um, I've had multiple bikes to lead me to where I'm at today. Uh, and now I've had the off-road bike for a year. So that's that's how I got started, just through VA clinics and, uh, you know, organizations that are just willing to help. And before your injury, did you have any experience mountain biking at all? Uh, no, sir. Um, I don't think that I would have got into mountain biking possibly, you know, at the time. Now, what I see in my community, and I have an 11-year-old son, it's possibility that I would have jumped into it when he got to the age. He's, he's one year off from being able to join the NICA team. So I don't know if he's in that ballpark. He's really about football, but we'll see. Yeah. And if he goes to it now, that's great. If he goes to it later on in life, that's also good. You know, it's, right. it's good to have that ability. This gave me an opportunity, um, you know, the off-road bike gave me an opportunity to ride with him. And, you know, we will go ride, but, you know, he, it's not his, it's not his thing. So I can, I can respect that. <laughs> <laughs> For those of us who have never ridden a hand bike, um, can you describe what that's like, what that feeling is like? Well, a lot different for sure uh, than, than riding on a two-wheel bike. So we're, we're on three wheels. Um, the turning is a lot different than, you know, out in the woods on the trails, you know, where you could lean into a turn, um, you know, we can still put, you know, our weight down on, on the, on the tire and, um, 
to get around around a curve or you know a switchback. But it, it is different. We're lower to the ground, so things come up at us a little faster. We can't see as far out. Uh, so like the technical stuff, we just have to be vigilant and make sure that um, we we know the trail. You know, just like any other mountain biker, uh, the more you do it, the funner the trail is, in my opinion. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. And um, somebody asked me a question last night while I was at a group ride, and I didn't know the answer because there's various different types of adaptive mountain bikes and hand cycles. Um, is yours uh, e-assist? I do have an e-assist, and it's uh, built by uh, Lasher Sports. So I have the... The two, mine sits down a little lower. I have the two wheels in the back and the one wheel in the front. But then there's uh there's all kinds of different styles that set up a little higher. Um, it just depends on the preference and disability level. Does uh does yours drive the front wheel, Blake? Yes, it does. Do you have uh, traction issues when it gets steep at all? Uh, yes. Um, there, there are some traction issues on those bikes. Um, just hard to keep the the weight down on that front tire and uh, it, it's just a it's kind of a sore thumb with it but usually if you keep some momentum momentum going you're, you're fine yeah yeah and when they asked the question last night and i referred to it a little bit earlier riding at cold water mountain that's that's not exactly the easiest place to mountain bike regardless of what type of your bike you're on imagining trying to do that with a hand cycle without the e-assist, I, I would imagine is impossible. I mean, it's, it's challenging enough with the, with the assist, I assume, uh, riding the hand cycle because uh, cold water is very much a, a play to play. Like you got to work for it to enable to go down. Right. Yeah. Uh, I do believe that there are some trails that, um, that I would have to have e-assist. I mean, I think the adaptive community might have to understand. Well, would have to understand that, you know, going forward with mountain biking or adaptive mountain biking. And I would say that not everybody actually uses ESS. Uh, we, we've actually had guys uh, out at Crested Butte for the world championship that didn't use ESS. Um, it was brutal. It was brutal for them. Uh, it, it was horrible. But, uh, but there were two classes uh, available, you know, for those that wanted to, to try to grind. And there are some trails I think I want to try to do uh, a little less battery powered just for my strengthening. Yeah, I can imagine just, you know, I'm an experienced mountain biker and in, in, in fairly decent shape, but you put me on one of those hand cycles, I'd probably I'd probably last like maybe 15 minutes. I'd, I'd tire out so quickly. My legs are good. My arms, not so much. <laughs> I'm on out and try it out. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see what it's like just to, just to experience what it feels like. Yeah, sure. Uh, so let's move on with a quick question for Randy. Randy, how did you get into building adaptive trails? Uh, a local advocacy advocacy group here in Knoxville, um, uh, Legacy Parks. Uh, they were they came up with the idea. We had this plan on the board for a long time to build a mountain bike trail, Sharps Ridge here in Knoxville. <clears throat> And uh, and they funded it, and they wanted to make it so it was uh, adaptive friendly. And um, you know, uh, you go into a project like that for the first time, and you think you know what you're doing, but you learn so much uh, trial and error. And and uh, uh, it's uh, it was just a, a kind of a slow process to get a feel for what uh, what the adaptive uh, bikes can do, uh, how wide they are, what the turning radius is, all that was, uh, was a big learning pro process. And, uh, uh, I had, uh, uh, a lady who was a lot of help. We'd build it. She'd come test it. And, uh, and then we'd fix it or change it or do whatever we needed to. Um, but it was, it was, uh, you know, the opportunity was there to build some more trail, um, making it adaptive really doesn't diminish anybody else's uh trail ride uh it's just that the trail in general is a little bit wider than uh what we might have done in in a few places um so yeah it's uh 
it was it was uh kind of being in the right place at the right time with the with the right stuff so yeah and i've ridden those trails that you built at sharps and you know if if i didn't know that they were built with adaptive in mind i would have had no idea it just feels like a regular mountain bike trail um and that's i think that's one of the key things uh with that build and with that construction is that sure it's it's adaptive capable but it's also it's just a mountain bike trail which i love yeah i'd like to be able to go back and uh, work on some of those other trails and uh the older ones with uh adaptive bikes in mind and and uh fixing the pinch points and and uh and making something that is a little bit burlier steeper rougher than than uh the first attempt that we did you know in one of our previous conversations you talked a little bit about um the turning radius and how you figured that out. Can you share that story with us? I think that that was just, I, it was, it was really interesting and like ingenious really to figure out what a turning radius should be. Well, we were, we were working and this particular trail has one steep place where we had to do a switchback. We, there was, if we went past that, there was, it just got steeper and, and, and harder. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm working on this switchback and I'm looking at it. And all, all of a sudden, I thought, I don't know how sharp a turn these things can make. And uh, Legacy bought some uh, adaptive uh, bikes, and they were storing it at local bike shop at the FC Peddler. And so I called Luke at uh, at the bike shop, and I said, Luke, I need you to take one of those bikes out in the parking lot, turn it as sharp as it'll go, and tell me what the turning radius is, because I don't know. And he went back and he said, it's a 14 foot diameter is the tightest I can get it. So we kind of figured we'd work 18 or 20 foot and, and it should be a little easier. It ended up being a little tighter than I wanted it anyway, but it is, it is what it is. And it's, it's doable, but you have to hit it exactly right going into it. You, if you miss it a little bit, you got to have somebody back you up and, and uh, pull the front end around. Yeah, and this leads into the next question of what do you think the key features are for uh, building an adaptive mountain bike trail and that help it qualify as adaptive accessible? I, I think the biggest thing is the width of the trail. We 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 found measuring measuring all the uh, different bikes that we had access to, the wider ones were about forty inches. So. We figure, you know, uh, if you ride a single track on a mountain bike, you could ride a 10 inch wide trail without a lot of trouble and you've still got three inches on each side. Um, so we tried to give them 48 minimum um, and then a little bit more if we could. Uh, there are a couple of pinch places and I think it's OK to have them tight as long as the whole thing's not like that. Uh, the other issue that we ran into at Sharps Ridge is that it is very steep. And even with a four, four and a half foot diameter, um, uh, our, our riders got really nervous because of the exposure. Uh, so if you go off the trail, you're going to tumble 20 feet down the hill. Um, and we haven't lost anybody yet, but I always worried about it. <laughs> and Blake, in, in your experience, is that is that kind of what you find you require out of a trail? Yeah, uh, is the width. Yeah. Um, about how wide is your your cycle? I would say about the same, uh, about fifty inches. Okay. Or, you know, around that 40, 40, 50. Awesome. Does the exposure uh, bother you? Have you gotten used to it, Blake? Uh, it, I, what I'm talking about, if, if it's a a side slope that's really steep, almost like a cliff, but you've got a nice tread, um, do you still get nervous going across something like that? I do. Uh, I actually took a bad spill in cold water, and it was just a silly thing. I wasn't going fast at all. I just actually happened to stop on top of a rock, kind of, and didn't have nowhere to put my arm, and I just started tumbling, and anyway, I think I rolled like one and a half times. So, to be honest with you, I was a little gun-shot when I went out to Colorado, and I told some of the guys, I was like, man, I'm a little little gun-shot, you know, I mean, or, you know, so... And so we worked it out, you know, like, you know, it's just something that you just kind of understand and mountain biking is not, 
this is it's not for everybody. You have to kind of be willing to take a little bit of risk if you want to do mountain biking and, and see how good you really are. Do you have a regular uh, group of guys that you ride with, uh, two-wheeled bikes uh, that you go with, or do you venture out on your own very much? No, I will on my road bike. I, I'll, I can, I have a little bit more freedom with that. But I think mountain biking wise, I believe in the battle buddy system, yeah. um, and you know that's just where I come from with mountain biking. Uh, a lot different with road cycling. You know, my worst fear, I guess, on the road is getting hit by a car. But by that time, you know, car stops or or don't, you know, whatever. But you hit a tree out in the woods, and it's just you in that tree. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, so far as the exposure part, though, I, I want to go back to that because Colorado really opened my eyes up a lot. And I, it, it just it makes you wonder, because back before my injury and then looking now, I'm like, they or they, they let disabled people do this, you know? This is, <laughs> you know, so people with disabilities have this option, you know, to go out there and get that adrenaline rush or, have a um an area where they can perform or or you know go back to something that's athletic it's out there yeah i i like that and and that's one of the things that that uh that i thought <clears throat> or that i learned and uh carly that i was working with she said the biggest thing for her was not that she wants to do these big burly gnarly things but she wants to get back in the woods she was a firefighter that broke her back lost the use of her legs and she wanted to get back in the woods and and it was it was tough there just wasn't a trail that that would accommodate her um right. so it's that's that's the you know for me it's all about getting in the woods now anyway but uh for her it was the same thing and it's funny with the with the exposure talk you know I get nervous if there's a if there's a big exposure on the sides <laughs> I, I think that that's a universal universal fear and a universal uh quality to have in a trail yeah it's it can be scary and it, it seems like inevitably if i'm going to crash it's on this like slow move where there's a pretty decent amount of exposure on the side and i'm going to tumble over the side it just i it i can haul butt down a trail and not have any issues but i'm doing this slow little techie move and there's a little bit of exposure to one side or the other inevitably I'm going to fall off. It happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like you were saying, Blake, it's always kind of the sillier thing that you're like, man, I, I reflect and try to even understand why it happened or what happened. And it can take a long time to come back and have your full confidence again. So it sounds like your trip really was something that helped you get back. Do you feel like you're, you've got your confidence again with the exposure? After seeing the results and where I ended up being, yes, it, it it made me feel a lot better. Uh, and, you know, I just, the first time we looked at uh, stage seven of the World Championship mountain bike race for that, the last stage was stage seven. It's called Avery. It's a black uh, diamond trail. And it was one of the trails that we were kind of worried about, you know. So we went and checked it out on day one preview. And it took us like 20 minutes to look at each feature. You know, and so it took us, it took us a long time to get through the trail. Then we got back down and was like, okay, that's, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. Like, so once you do it the first time and you realize, okay, I'm confident in my bike and I'm confident myself. Now it's time to execute and find the right line to go down this path. And that's no different than what a professional downhiller will do if they're going into a race is they always, they'll walk the course and to preview it and just get a good sense about what the course is like before they even try to ride it. And I think that's great protocol. Um, and you mentioned it a little bit, but let's talk, let's talk some about that, that trip that you had out to Colorado and, uh, was it the world championships that you were a part of? Yes. Uh, yes, sir. It was a world championship adaptive mountain bike group led by adaptive sports.org and they've been doing it for like 14, 15 years. So they've, they've got a lot of knowledge in adaptive cycling. Uh, it's also, they have adaptive center there. So they also do skiing and some other sports in that center. But so far as Colorado, um, they're, they're, they're really experienced and they, they've got the trails out there that I don't, I don't say that they're built for us. 
Um, I just think that they've been doing it for so long now. We know what we're capable of. And they just added stage seven this year. Um, I think they're realizing what we could do. They're trying to make it hard on us. So, I mean, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And is it always held in Crested Butte? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you, you kind of shared with us last time we talked, but um, run us through a little bit how the racing was and, you know, what your, uh, what your placing was by the time the, the race was all said and done. So uh, we had seven stages. Um, so we would, you know, lead up to uh, the harder stage, which was a black diamond at the end. And, you know, the first few stages were nice, long, flowy. Uh, we had a couple of uphill stages where we had to, you know, have the right momentum going into it. Um, there might have been some, some roots, rocks, and, you know, some rock gardens to go through. And uh, day uh, leading up to the last day was, you know, more flow, you uh, more try not to hit the jump too hard, but, you know, we would, you know, try to get down through there. And so, uh, the last day was, it, it was just a technical hard day with, uh, some log jumps, uh, a nice little wavy bridge out in the woods, um, with a jump at the end of it. And then, um, a lot of exposure. <laughs> a lot of exposure. And how many days was this, was the race? So the race was, um, I want to believe, say two days long, and we were out there before that uh, for a week. We we got to train out there with the uh, Adaptive Sports Center, and and we stayed out there, and we was able to preview most of the, you know, I, I think we rode most of the trails in in that area anyway. But um, so we we got to we had enough time to preview the trails well enough before the event, and that was a really good thing. I believe uh, you had mentioned the results. I apologize. Let me go back to that. But I believe that there was, I came in third and we were like 20 and I was 40 seconds off first and 20 seconds off a second. So that tells you how close everybody was like right there. After seven stages. After seven stages. Wow. Wow. That's awesome that everybody's so close. And, you know, quite frankly, you said you've only been riding for riding your mountain bike for a year. So to be at that level in a year, I I think that that's, that's pretty incredible. I think that says a lot about not only how interested you are in the sport, but how willing you are to, to push the boundaries of, of mountain biking and adaptive riding. I I impressed myself. I apologize. (laughs) I did. I impressed myself. Um, because there were some good guys out there. I know that a little bit of their background and stuff. And I'm like, man, this is like y'all's thing. And I had a gentleman that he was like, you know, I build some of these. He was, he builds adaptive mountain bike. And he was like, and I live here, but I've only been on the mountain like once in five years. And I'm like, I would be here every day. But, (laughs) um, yeah, I just, I guess I've seen a lot in those guys. I still, I see a lot in them. That's why I do it. Because, um, the camaraderie that it gives you and, and the experience you learn from others. So I enjoy it. That's why I enjoy it. Seeing other people like you pushing themselves and, and challenging themselves regardless of what their injury is and what their setup is. I, I think that that's awesome. Do you feel like the trails at Coldwater prepared you for that race? Most definitely. I, I, I really do believe that because that's the only experience I've gotten. I mean, other than some clinic before I got my bike, so um, I'm, I'm part of PVA, Paralyzed Veterans of America, and we do a clinic out at Pocahontas State Park twice a year. We have a fall camp and a, a spring camp. And uh, so I, I, I was able to demo the bike before receiving my own. So I've, I've been to those little clinics and, you know, kind of stepped up a little bit, but I still have a long way to go, in my opinion, for one year. Um, I want to get to know my bike more and I think I can push myself a little bit more. It's nice having those trails in the backyard that allows you to do that. Oh yes, sir. This is, this is like, this is cycling heaven here. You know, we have mountain biking and, and the trails. There's, you can't beat that. 
And you're mentioning the Chief Ladago Silver Comet Trail. Do you take your road bike out on that quite a bit? I do. Uh, I'll, I'll ride out to Piedmont and eat and ride back or something like that. Or um, sometimes I often ride out up on Sheehawk, uh, like the old Fort McClellan, and ride out there some too. Yeah, I, I have family from that part of the world. My mom and dad have a house there. It's a, it's a really special place. And, you know, it's, I think that it's getting to be known, but I, I still think that there's a ways to go to bring the awareness of what Aniston and Oxford, Alabama have to offer and, and how beautiful that part of the state is. Yeah. We're, we're close. We're closing in, but we're going to bring our resources together in Calvin County. And, and there's, it's going to, Aniston's going to grow with it too. So it just takes time. And so before the, before the chat, you sent us over a few photos and I think that they're awesome. Uh, one of them, you're giving a thumbs up after a crash. Um, and you know, that really isn't kind of the, the mental picture that some folks might have when they think about an adaptive rider. And, you know, it, it, it goes back to you pushing the boundaries, but do you see there being a number of people like yourself uh, that really just need the availability and the access to both the equipment and the trails in order to, to fully experience it and begin to push the boundaries? Yes. Um, the trails are out there. I, I think the trails are there. Uh, I haven't really been to a park yet that I can't get on at least one trail. So I think they're out. The trails are there now. Adaptive equipment. That's a whole nother story. I mean, they're, you know, they're expensive bikes, you know, just like able-bodied bikes, but, um, with it being adaptive equipment, it, it, it can be costly. And it's something that a lot of adaptive, well, a lot of individuals with disabilities, when, when they, when they're new in that disability, they don't know one thing that, that it's out there. And then two, the money cost is a whole nother worry and issue for them. So, you know, there are a lot of organizations that are willing to help, though. And there's there's a grant through uh, Challenge Athlete Fund that you can get adaptive equipment um, and a few others. So hopefully it don't discourage nobody to get involved. We can get people involved, I believe. And Randy, there, here there in Knoxville, also- there's uh, Catalyst Sports. Um which Sorb has done some work with, but they, they focus a lot of attention to the Knoxville area. Can you share a little bit about what Catalyst does for, for their group? Yeah. Um, they, they kind of took over the, the bikes that uh, Legacy bought and uh, they store them at the Knoxville Outdoor Center. Um, and they're there, I, I think, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think they're free of charge. Uh, so they have a small fleet of, of uh, off-road capable and on-road bikes that are right next to the greenway um you just roll right down and, and get on it um or you can take them out to the trail somewhere and uh it's it's nice to have that and uh catalyst does a good job in in this area western north carolina north georgia i don't know i don't know if their catalyst goes into alabama blake or not um, but they're, uh, they're a nice outfit and, uh, they do a really good job spreading the word and getting people out on the trails, uh, rock climbing, kayaking, all that. Yeah. I think that's important is that they're, they're outdoor focused. They're, they're trying to get folks with all sorts of disabilities, just outdoors and experiencing those activities. I, um, I had the pleasure of working a little bit with, uh, with them and, and some of the folks that work for Catalyst and, you know, it, it's an incredible mission. And mm-hmm. kudos to them for for getting people outside. I agree. I've heard a little bit about the Catalyst mission and some of the things they've done, but I have not yet personally experienced myself. Um, but I, I hope to come out to uh, Sharps, and we'll, I'll reach out with you after the podcast as well. Right? Yeah, I do. Um, Baker Creek has uh, got some downhill uh, specific, and the the one good thing about a uh, uh, the adapted bikes uh, being wider, most of the downhills are built a little wider than a normal old school single track. So uh, um, you, you're, you're probably able to run a lot of the stuff at Baker Creek um, 
the uh, Devil's Racetrack's got a couple of drops in it. Uh, I don't know what what kind of drops you're comfortable going off of. Uh, there's a bridge drop that, depending on your speed, you could drop 15 or 20 feet, I guess. <clears throat> and uh, but uh, there's there's at least three trails, three downhill trails at uh, Baker that you could run. And uh, Sharps has got the cross country. And I think probably nightfall downhill, um, you wouldn't have any trouble with either. So, yeah, we'd love to have you. And I haven't seen the programming for Fall Fest this year, but historically Catalyst has had some group rides out of uh, Baker Creek during Fall Fest, which, you know, if that's a, the first weekend in November, if you're available, Blake, that would be a great time to go to Knoxville and experience the trails there because uh, not only do you have a great trail system, but there are going to be other riders there and a whole festival on top of it. So it's, it's a really good time. And it's free. so randy for a chapter who's listening to this and hearing i probably already have trail that could be adaptive and that we could have adaptive riders be more included on our trail systems what advice would you give to them and how to get started in the adaptive riding uh, arena i think the the biggest thing is is think about what would happen if you have a 40 inch wide coming through um, what the issues might be as far as uh, rocks to roll over, uh, drops, pinch points, that sort of thing. Uh, the other thing is if you can partner with somebody that is uh, an adaptive athlete, it'll give you a, a, a much different perspective. Like Blake was talking a minute ago, uh, I had no idea or, or never thought about the fact that where I'm sitting on my bike, at a, my eyes are at about six feet high. Where Blake is sitting is probably two feet high. So you really can't see things that are coming up on the trail. So um, not having any big surprises or uh, like like Blake said, pre-riding uh, is, is good. But uh, I think the biggest thing is find somebody that uh, is uh, an adaptive athlete and just pick their brain, say, Here's what I'm thinking about. What do you think? And uh, the other the other thing is, and, and I, I I made the mistake here. You try to dumb it down, and uh, you know the the adaptive athletes don't necessarily want it dumbed down. They they want a challenging trail just like everybody else does. So don't be afraid to throw some features in there, some rocks, some some small drops off camber, all that, uh, is, is, uh, just part of the experience and, and don't be afraid to throw it in. Would you agree with that, Blake? I would, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I actually had, so like, uh, one of the guys that builds, uh, my bike, he, he's a mechanic for our team, PBA team. And he told me, he was like, well, you know, the lasher take uh, a four to five, you know, foot drop. I'm like, you know, I, I need, I need to try that by for myself, but that's what I've been told is that, that it could technically take a four foot drop. Yeah. Which I'm nervous about a four foot drop regardless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and imagining, you know, just trying to imagine having my, my eyes two feet off the ground and rolling up to a four foot drop, that would be just like coming off to the edge of the earth, you know? Yeah. Uh, there was some, uh, you know, there were some features on Avery uh, back in Colorado and it was, it was more like a three-tiered type thing, you know, but it was steep. So, yeah, it would be kind of like that, but, you know, a full standoff, you know, with your nose. I'm not really sure about that yet, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the progression is what we're talk, trying to get to. Maybe you need to have like a, a two and then a three and then a four-foot drop to get up to it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, that would be great. We'll ask uh, you a year from now, Blake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll check back in. Yeah. Uh, Randy, what's in store for uh, any adaptive trails that you might have in the future? You mentioned a little bit of reworking sharps, but maybe if there's any additional stuff you've got going on. Yeah, you, you know, um, I, I I build all sorts of trails, but I have gotten, kind of gotten into this thing where um, I've, I've have done a lot of green trails. And um, so I have pretty much just gotten into the habit of making those with the mindset that 
uh, I want to make this available for if somebody comes through with, a, with an adapted bike that they'll be able to get through it also. Um, and, you know, as, as long as you're sitting on an excavator, that's easy. You start hand digging, um, they, the trails tend to get more narrow and a little bit tougher. So as long as we're building with a the machine, there's, if you're building it, there's no use um, in uh, avoiding making something that would work for everybody. Um, I think you're going to see more and more of that as as uh, as it goes on. What we need is some more participation from adaptive athletes, um, and I think that would drive the need. Just like you get more mountain bikers, you get more trails. Uh, as we get more adaptive athletes out there and get the word out and get them out, um, I think that we're going to see a lot more trail uh, become available and. And um, and and if it needs to be modified, so it would be appropriate. What I like to do is run something by you, Randy. I've been thinking the last few days. Uh, I, I want to travel more. Uh, I actually reached out to another little resort place in North Carolina. I'm not sure if they're, you know, uh, handicap accessible. I had somebody go out there, and they were riding for the weekend, and I asked them to ask the, you know, just some of the people there if they've had experience with the. Uh, adaptive athletes on their ski lifts and stuff like that. He, he says he couldn't find nobody to, to give him an answer. So anyway, what I want to do is, is, you know, I have a GoFundMe or something like that to, to fund a small group of guys like myself, me, maybe two other uh, adaptive athletes and maybe two um, sad guys to, to do that, to, you know, maybe come out and visit uh, Knoxville or uh, maybe come visit bump in Birmingham. I've been invited out there, but I would like to take a couple of guys with me and it'd be a group effort and say, Hey, okay, this is, this is what we've experienced. And, you know, these are the trails that we've ridden and that we can do. And I think that's beneficial for, um, for trail systems. If we can do something like that. Definitely. You know, the other part of that, that you could do is give feedback. I rode, the barn burner trail and it was awesome until i got to this point and i struggled over whatever it might be and here's what i think would fix it but that kind of reporting back i think would uh would help not only the trail that you're riding that day but all the other trails too when they start to think here's what you know this trail needs to be here's the uh the the type of things that we need to do to make it and uh, here's the feedback that we got. For sure. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I can see that being valuable from a number of standpoints. Um, but yeah, it, let's let's try to see if we can put that together. See if we can we can figure out something. I know. Um, again, going back to Catalyst, they had that that tour that they did a couple years ago through different Sorba trails. And maybe there's something there. Maybe we can we can work together with them or uh, develop our own program. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that not only would the trail systems find it valuable, but, but it would be great from a publicity standpoint, not only on the adaptive riders, but on the the Sorba and our chapters of you know that hey, this is available, and awareness is one of the things that we need to bring. That you know the trails that are there you can go out and ride them. Just let people know that they're available. Right. Yeah. And Randy, when I heard you say uh, chapters could reach out to an adaptive athlete, my first thought was that may not be so easy for every chapter if they don't know somebody to reach no. out to. And, so that's and a challenge. You're exactly right. And, and uh, organizations like Catalyst, like the um, uh, Paralyzed Veterans, uh, I think that's the place to go. If you don't have somebody that you know of right off, uh, reach out to one of the big organizations and say, here's what we're interested in. Can you help? Um, and and then you know, the next thing you say is, we're not looking for money. We're, we're looking for feedback. And I think in most cases that uh, they could help you, hook you up with somebody in your area that could give you some good feedback. I have one more question for uh, anybody that can answer, uh, maybe for Knoxville area. And for Alabama, what are normally like the like? Do they have state uh, championships like they do in road racing? 
uh, where are they normally located throughout, I guess, Alabama, Tennessee? I've never seen one in the South at all that I know yeah. of. Alabama has their state games and they've held it in Dothan the last couple of years. And there's a mountain biking element to it, but it's, it's all encompassing. It, it has, you know, track and field and all that type of stuff. Um, so there's not really a building pyramid for mountain biking in a sense of like road cycling where there's, um, you know, like nationals or state or something like that. You could do races like, um, the go nut series or something like that. That's USAC certified. And that would accrue points to, to race at like a national level event. But as far as something that's, you know, kind of Nike esque, I guess would be the best way to put it where you'd have a state champion afterwards. Not, not for anybody that's not in middle school and high school. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's something we should change. Uh, we, we should have more mountain biking. Uh, but yeah, I always, I always encourage people in the adaptive community, uh, for road cycling to go join, you know, there it's hard and they, a lot of organizers won't let you race unless there's a group, but I've never had an issue getting into a time trial. And so I tell a lot of guys, you know, I have like, if you see your state time trial come up, go to it, you know, say, Hey, you know, I'm an adaptive rider. You know, I need to, um, a qualifying time trial. and they're going to let you in nine, 9% of the time or 99.9% of the time. I've never been told no. So, but same thing for mountain biking. Uh, I think adaptive athletes should find avenues like that to get involved. Yeah. It's really interesting. You see it on the results sheet, you know, it, um, you know, state champion adaptive cyclist. just from the results. I, I, I think that that brings awareness. And if we could do that with mountain biking, I think that's, that's a really cool idea. Yeah. There's a lot of wheels turning on that one. I, I, I don't know where we'd go from here, but I love the idea. And I, I, I think that there's something, there's something to it that could happen. Reach out to the race promoters and, and, uh, get, get their thoughts on it. I know I'm a Clydesdale and used to race all the Clydesdale race. And those guys have started dropping a lot of them dropping Clydesdale class because they weren't getting huge turnouts. Uh, so um, we got to, got to find a way to make it work for them and for you. And, uh, that's, that's part of the challenge. Sure. Well, Blake, I've got one last question for you before we, uh, before we wrap this up, do you have any, you have any trips coming up? You got anywhere you're going to go ride? Yeah. So, um, I think I might end up postponing this one, to be honest with you, but I'm scheduled to go back out to Pocahontas next weekend, if a weekend, uh, the weekend of the 14th, mm-hmm. like the 17th. And, um, I'm supposed to be going to Bentonville in October. So that's, the that's the one I'm looking forward to Bentonville. I haven't been out there yet. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty incredible experience. It's been a few years since I've been there, but yeah, lots of trail, plenty of options for an adaptive rider out there to, to get out and tread and have a good time. I had a question for you, um, on trail ratings and your thoughts on, uh, different, ways to rate trails for adaptive riders and have you seen something that you like have you seen some that you don't like well uh, i only know of one actual trail rating system for adaptive riding and i've spoke about it with a, a little bit about my, with my local uh guys here and i've spoke uh with some individuals my team and stuff about it as well uh now i do agree like there are some trails that that you know, once we start letting people on trails, I'm, I don't want to tell people, hey, you can't go down that trail. Like, you know, you don't have somebody with you, you can't go down that trail. I wouldn't tell an able-bodied person that. But on the other side of that, if there's a trail that you know an adaptive bike can't go down, I, I do believe that would need to be marked. Like, hey, like, not possible. Yeah, what, what we used, uh, here in Knoxville, and it's on Trail Forks, is the uh, AMTB one, two, and three. One, yes. one means you could probably do it without any help at all. Two means you might need a little bit of help. Three means you definitely would need, you know, some help getting a bike over obstacles or pinch points or or whatever. Um, I, I like well? it's 
you know, we're not really getting enough usage to know to get the feedback. Uh, but I'm a I'm a real proponent of keeping signs as simple as you can, and that seems to fit that. And um, it really doesn't tell you things like how strenuous it is, how much up and down. Um, well, you still have your you know your colors too. You know your greens and blues. Yeah. Uh, as well. Yeah. So if it's a if it's a black and says that you might need help, it's it's going to be challenging. Ride with a battle buddy and go check it out. Yep. I always take my battle buddy with me, though. I'm a, I'm a fan of the battle buddy system. <laughs> yeah, plus a shared experience is a lot more fun than out there riding by yourself. Oh, for sure. I mean, and, you know, I've been in a motorcycle, you know, injury. I was riding with a group at that time, and uh, it probably would have took them a little longer or somebody longer to find me um, and, you know, get my family where they needed to be if I didn't have a good group with me. It's a good safety protocol and a good, I don't do that a lot. I ride by myself far too often. And when I do, I push the boundaries too much, but it is what it is. <laughs> I do prefer riding with other people. It's just my schedule doesn't always allow it, you know? Well, you can, you know, they do have a lot of the options, you know, where you can track or you, know, you have your wife or somebody to track where you're at. And they see that dot sitting there too long and they know to <laughs> give you a call. Yeah. yeah, you send the beacon. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, folks, I, I think this has been a really great conversation. And uh, Jen and I both appreciate your time so much for for sharing your experiences and sharing your thoughts. And as a surprise from our sponsor, Finish Line, uh, we're going to be sending an awesome prize package to both of, both of y'all. Their gift will contain Fiberlink tubeless sealant fortified with Kevlar fibers for faster and longer seals. Ceramic technology, dry and wet lube, bike wash, degreaser, and several other amazing products. So thank you, Finish Line, for providing this awesome gift basket for you two. Uh, you should be receiving that in the mail soon. Um, and from us at Sorba, we can't thank you enough for, for thank you for just being a part of our first podcast, being awesome uh, guests, and, and sharing your knowledge. So thank you. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you uh, for for all Sorba has done since uh, I went to the first meeting in uh, 2007. Uh, ever since then, I'm always amazed at the uh, the community and and how productive and friendly and inclusive. And I think this is just a great example of uh, of what Sorba does. Well, I didn't know anything about Sorba, you know, until a little bit later, but. Um... You know, working with the local group here in Neba, they have, I, I'd say it's, it's a family atmosphere, that's for sure. So I, I enjoy our beers and gears nights and things like that. It, it's Mountain biking is a good community. I had somebody last night, they, they actually asked and, and ended upon that of like, what's it like to travel with different groups and, and experience different groups? And I'm like, you know, there is one thing that is very consistent and my mountain bikers are all pretty much the same, regardless of where you go. We have similar shared passions and similar experiences. And so you always have that similarity to rely on when you're having a conversation or hanging out with, and it's, it's a great group of people and a, and a really awesome community to be a part of. Well, I sure appreciate being part of Sorba and letting me come on to this, uh, podcast, Philip, uh, Hopefully, me and you will talk more uh, in the future and, and and get some other things going on for uh, our community. Yep, that sounds awesome. With that, uh, Jen, do you have any last thoughts? I don't. Just thank you both for being here. Thanks, Philip, for uh, conducting the interview. And thank you to all of our listeners. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. And we will see you next time on the next Sorba Stories. Until then, take care. Thank y'all. This has been another great episode of the Sorba Stories podcast. Thank you for tuning in and supporting mountain biking across the Southeast. And make sure to give back to your local trails by joining a chapter, volunteering your time, and making a tax-deductible donation. Do you have a story you think we should share? Give us a shout. If you want to learn more about how to get involved, check out the links in our show notes. 
Special thanks to our members, donors, and supporters who make it all possible. We couldn't do this without you. Till next time, happy trails. Thank you.